Today on City Cash Chicago, the reversal of Roe v. Wade won't end abortion. It will make access to safe abortion much more difficult. Back in the late 60s, a group of women based in Hyde Park knew the dangerous measures women had to take to end their pregnancy. So they created a service that provided everything from counseling and rides to appointments. You called a number and asked for Jane. We talked to Laura Kaplan, a member of the group who is also featured in the documentary The Janes, premiering tomorrow on HBO. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Kaplan is author of The Story of Jane, the legendary underground feminist abortion service. She talked to CityCast lead producer Carrie Shepard. Feminist in the title. Why was that so important to you? Well, because the group would not have happened without the women's liberation movement. We were part of the Chicago Women's Liberation Union, and we started, like many other women's liberation groups around the country, trying to suss out the underground network, find the reputable providers, uh, prepare women, help raise money because illegal abortions were very expensive, and uh, guide them through the process. Plus, I got to say, my editor made up the title, so... <laughs> yeah. I wondered if it was a it was an author or an editor choice, your, but your editor did. It was an editor <laughs> choice. You call this book early on a collective history, and written history from this time was, of course, purposefully minimal because you were participating in a you know a legal operation. Talk about the process of writing the book since there were so few tangible notes and documents. Yes, there was very, very little because, as you pointed out, what we were doing was illegal, so we didn't keep records. Plus, we weren't the most organized people in the world. I mean, it seems like it from what we were able to accomplish and the way we accomplished it. I was just talking to Diane, who was a member of uh, Jane, and we were saying... You know, nobody knew how much money was around. Everybody kept some in their freezer in case anybody needed emergency cash. The the line I think I used in the book was that it was cold cash. You did. (laughs) I like that. What was happening with the original founders at that time? Who were these women and why did they decide to start this service? i got to take you back to the 60s and the... uh, amount of political activity around the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, the student movement. So they would be these left, radical, whatever you, these days I guess we call them progressive. There would be one workshop on women's issues. Yeah. And Heather Booth was often the person running those workshops. She had uh, sort of out of nowhere uh, started getting calls from people seeking abortions mm. and found a black doctor, and she likes to give him credit, T.R. Howard, uh, on the south side, 
Uh, he had a clinic called Friendship Clinic, and he was regularly doing illegal abortions there. So her first contact was with Dr. Howard. And so when it got too much for her, she called all the women who'd signed up to work on abortion to come to a meeting. Um, the core original group was uh, Jody, Ruth, Susan Stone, and Eleanor Oliver. Eleanor is the only one who's still alive. And so these women decided to do this. And um, Jody and Ruth decided to be the doctor contacts. By this time, Heather had a few mm. doctors mm. that she used because sometimes Dr. Howard would have to, because of fears of getting busted, he would, you know, stop mm. working. But the calls don't stop. So Jody and Ruth took on the doctor contact role, which turned out to be the most powerful role in um, the, the group. Dr. Howard, you know, like you said, he couldn't be the only abortionist. And so there, you know, you talk in depth about the trouble of finding doctors who will work with Jane to provide these. Right. I have to give uh, Jody enormous amount of credits uh, and Ruth because they realized right in the beginning that sending women off to somebody and the best they could say is, well, everybody's come back alive. Yes. Was not good enough. So they looked for somebody and they found somebody who was willing to, you know, negotiate. And this is deal cutting, you know, we'll guarantee you X number of cases a week in exchange for your lowering your basic rate to X amount and doing one out of 10 for free or something like that. And I'll put this in quotes because we found out he wasn't, but the doctor we wound up working closely with yeah. said to me when I interviewed him, you know, I thought abortions were like mink coats. Lots of women wanted them, but only some could afford them. Nick in the book is the abortionist with whom Jane works really closely. And, you know, the assumption is he's a doctor. And that's a really pivotal moment in the service with Jane's is that when members learn that he Nick is not actually a doctor, as he previously said he was or as they thought. What did this change for members and the service they provided that, oh, wait, Nick isn't actually a medical doctor? I say this in the book that I really believe that Jody and Ruth, again, they were the doctor contacts, which gave them an inordinate amount of power in the group. Um, I think that they divulged this secret to the entire group at the point at which he was training Jody to do abortions. Oh. Because I think Jody saw that if she could do it, and by extension, then we could do it. And you did start doing it. Yeah. Members did. I have to say, people dropped out of the group at that point. People freaked out at that meeting. I mean, women started crying. We're just like the back alleys. We've got to fold, you know. And I think Jody finally said, who the hell did you think was going to work this closely with us? Did you think a doctor was really going to work this closely with us? By the time I saw my first abortion, Nick was long gone. Something that comes back throughout the book that's so important, especially now, those seeking abortions 
are not from any one race, social class, education level, age. You saw everyone. You saw women who thought they were past fertility age. You saw, you know, teenagers who, a teenager who didn't want an abortion, but her parents were making her get one. It wasn't, I mean, that's the thing that we have to keep saying in this time, in this moment with Roe v. Wade, is this is not something a select group of women do. And also I think people forget that it's a lot of times, it's often women who already have children. They can't afford another right. child. Or they, they just are done with child. They're done. They're done. Right. How long after Roe v. Wade did women continue to call Jane? We pretty much folded when the first legal clinics opened. And I think that was in the spring, early spring of 73. You know, the decision was January 22nd. And it it was contentious because there were people in the group who felt like we shouldn't fold because what we offered was so unique, um, so woman-centered, so education-centered. The abortion was a small part of what we did. It's fascinating to read the epilogue and like what many members of Jane did after working with the service, including you. Was there a common thread or theme that you heard from these former members about how Jane changed them, changed their lives? No, I don't think so. I mean, some of us uh, became medical professionals. Some of us continued to do political work. A lot of people just went back to what they were doing before, which was being maybe part-time job and being a housewife and a mother and you know, if they were social workers, they were social workers. If they were teachers, they were still teachers. You know, it was, you know, I really believe that for me personally, I, you know, it transformed my life. It changed who I was and it changed what the future of my life was going to be. What did, what path did it set you on? Well, I've been basically a community organizer since those days and most of it in the women's movement and the women's health movement And I don't know that, I doubt that that would have happened uh, without the experience in Jane. I also learned, and I think most of us learned, that we were really competent people. I mean, I was 24. I don't think I knew how to balance my checkbook. (laughs) You know, and then people were putting their lives in my hands. And I was discharging that responsibility uh, competently and caringly and responsibly. Were you scared? Sure. I mean, you were scared. We were not allowed to do what we were doing. We were not allowed to be doing surgery. Shortly after the book came out, I was talking with Peaches, and we were joking because people in the blurbs had written, you know, the courageous, the brave. We're laughing our heads off. We we're going to come up with our own adjectives. The arrogant, the controlling. <laughs> what, you don't think you were brave? Bravery is only how it looks from the outside. I don't believe bravery is how it looks when you're involved in doing anything. You don't think, oh, I'm being so brave. No, you're just doing what you believe is the right thing to do. And um, that's that. You know, it has... Yeah, those terms are external terms. They're not how it looks when you're in the thick of it. And that was one of my concerns 
And why I wrote the book is I thought if somebody outside of us wrote about us, they would make us into Amazon warriors, you know, who we weren't. And I don't think it helps anybody, younger people, to think, oh, those women were special. They were unique. I could never do that. Because, sure, we thought we could never do that, but we did it. You fear, you fear that it would discourage people from making change, you're saying, if, you, if there's this exaltation of these, these heroes, these women who, you know, did this unbelievable thing. Yeah, I, I do, because then you, you can say to yourself, oh, I'm not one of them. I'm not that person. And if you have people's needs as your guide, it, it can take you to really dramatic places. But they're not places you expected to go. Nobody in this group ever, ever, ever expected that we would be doing abortions. No one. It's just that's where the trail took us if we wanted women to have the best experience they could have. I mean, we're at this moment, obviously, just because women aren't going to stop getting abortions just because it's illegal or whatever. It doesn't stop. They didn't stop before. They're not going to stop. We're losing, looking at the cusp of losing this right, Roe v. Wade. What can we everyday people who are not extraordinary, like you're saying, we're just putting one foot in front of the other. What should we do? You think I have the answers? Yes, I do. Well, I don't. <laughs> but, you know, the... You can't, one of the women in the group when I was interviewing people all those years ago said to me, you can't do anything alone. That's like trying to start fire with wet wood. So the important thing is to find like-minded people and to start with what you can do right here, right now, today to make women's lives better, if that's what your aim is. Laura Kaplan, the author of The Story of Jane, the legendary underground feminist abortion service. Laura, thank you so much for giving me so much time and talking me through this and just your your insight. I'm not going to say your bravery because that's going to piss you off. <laughs> yeah, it's not true. Thank you, Carrie. <laughs> 